On this episode of Talking Schmidt, Jordan Burton joins me to talk about teaching the game of basketball and sharing his love with the next generation in his own home community. And also, Jordan and I have a chance to discuss what's going on in America. We have all that and more coming up on this episode. everyone it's officially episode seven now of talking schmidt we are in the schmidt house studios here on the phone with me i always say that i have a very special guest with me and i feel like i have to say that um, because the people that i bring on are very special in my life and very important to my growth whether it's in journalism or just in life in general and one of those guys that i feel has hit both of those for me is a guy i have on the phone right now jordan burton uh jb what's going on man Man, not much. Just uh, enjoying uh, this new normal that we all have and, and kind of taking it day by day. Absolutely, man. So one of the things that I love about you, man, and, and I know I don't always feel you guys, uh, you know, guys get credit for this. And it's it's the fact that you are a coach um, of a basketball, like an, an AAU travel style basketball team. And, you know, it's one thing to be a high school coach because you know the guys that you're going to bring out there. But you're in an area, uh, especially in that southwest Missouri, southeast Kansas, northeast Oklahoma area, um, where basketball and really a lot of sports are just kind of, you know, not really talked about because of, you know, the the bigger towns uh, like a Kansas City or a St. Louis that are kind of in your area. Even Little Rock has, you know, very, very talented programs. But for uh, Victory Basketball, you guys have done so many great things. I, I also love the fact that, you know, it is very faith-based as well with that. So you guys um, being able to do that and being able to help young men continue a dream and, uh, you know, you know, where I come from and in the Nashville area and in the Clarksville area, we have AAU teams. So uh, to go to an area where there wasn't one and to see what you guys did, I, I mean, it just absolutely is so uh, awesome to see that. How, you know, do you ever think about it that way? Or are you more of just like, you know what, man, I, I just love the game of basketball and I want to give it to the next generation? Yeah, really for me, and, and obviously coaching junior college basketball as well, and being a coach at North Dakota State College of Science, which it's a little bit different kind of looking back at kind of what we've been able to do at victory. Um, I do kind of see it in the way that you were describing, because again, whenever I played high school basketball here, uh, you know, a little bit more than a decade ago, there weren't a lot of opportunities, you know, unless you went to Kansas city or St. Louis or, you know, Springfield or something like that. So being able to have that kind of platform to give local kids a chance to play with other great local players and really kind of help each other get out is, as a unique opportunity and you're right you know we're and it's something that i actually talk to college coaches about all the time and you know we're not the same as you know mo can elite or team griffin or anything like that you know we don't have an nba sponsor we don't have nba players so um you know we feel like we want to compete for where we're at you know and really try to give our guys a chance to not only prove that they can play at play play scholarship level basketball but also just give them a chance to kind of compete about compete against the best out there and I think sometimes, you know, we all get locked in our bubble and we forget that there's a big wide world outside of our bubble. And, you know, whether we're talking politically or socially or athletically, you know, there are a lot of people who have a lot of gifts and talents. So I think it's always a great experience for our guys to kind of see some of that firsthand. 
And I think it's very cool as well. Uh, one of the one of the stories that you know, just knowing the guys that you know, I, I had a chance to cover them at least at their high school level. I um, mean, you know, we would whenever we could show any victory things as well, um, we would as much as we possibly could, and you know, always retweeting and sharing things that you guys uh, were pushing out. One of the things that I always love was, you know, these guys uh, that were on your team, a lot of them signed, you know, NAIA, uh, you had some D2 guys, things like that. So you guys were helping build that where they might not get that same, you know, viewership uh, or at least the same uh, recruitment, if you will, uh, at the high schools that they're playing at. But over the summer, working with you guys and and just the connections that a lot of you guys have uh, in the basketball community, I think a lot of that pays dividends and, and you're seeing guys really succeeded that I mean I think back to Terrell Kabbalah um, you know just recently when he signed D2 to Arkansas Fort Smith I mean you know it's so great to see him be able to do that and continue a dream but you know one of the big things that I always think of is you know you try to be at all those guys signings as well you know do you feel that sense of accomplishment knowing that you know these guys are getting a chance to you know continue a dream that you always had and that you've always you know uh, that you're still continuing to do as a coach uh, yeah, I mean, it, I'm not sure there's a a better feeling than watching someone who has a dream and have stated that dream, put in the the necessary work to achieve it, you know? And again, that's something that's much bigger outside of basketball as well. But from a basketball standpoint, whenever you have a kid who says, I want to play college basketball and I'm willing to put in the necessary work, and then to watch them really, you know, invest in themselves and, and work on their craft to get to that point is it's you know extremely rewarding i'm not sure there's a a better feeling and uh to put in perspective uh the first year that i was at victory was four years ago we had two college signings um we had a player signed to go to Pitt state we had a player that uh signed to play basketball in canada which he never actually ended up going so technically i guess we had one college player in that class um of the group this year we had 12 signees and uh two of them were d2 and then we had a former player who went JUCO uh, signed with the D1 program as well. So uh, it's a very man. It's it's crazy how rapid the growth has been within the program. And but yeah, you're right. Uh, we we do try to get to a lot of the signings and be there personally. Um, I actually drove back from North Dakota to, to watch a couple this year. Um, yeah, which was a great experience for me. But uh, there's there's nothing better than seeing some of those kids compete and and truly get a chance to change the opportunities that they have within their life and using basketball as a tool to do that. And, and that's the great thing about victory, you know, obviously spreading the word and, and being able to grow faith. And, and, and within that, you know, it's bigger than just trying to grow Christian faith. It's also about establishing young men and helping them develop to a point where they can be good husbands, good fathers, good employees, you know, good students. It's, it's much more, it's much more about um, the things outside of basketball, but basketball is just kind of the vehicle that helps drive that. Absolutely, man. And like I said, that's why, you know, whenever I say that I bring on special guests, like, I feel like everybody's like, oh, here he goes again. He's just going to talk up somebody. But like, in my opinion, you guys that I that I bring on, no matter who it is, um, you know, I always feel that, you know, in like I said, in my life, you are extremely special because I've been able to see what you do uh, for these guys and, and for these young men and, and the 
what you do to just make sure that they know that you care about them and that, you know, it's not just about the game of basketball either. Like you said, it's about the next phases in life. Um, because, you know, you always, we always hear about, you know, how many people go pro, you know, from college. I mean, it's always very special, talented, you know, guys who end up going pro. Uh, but, you know, we have to go pro in something else, man. You know, there's, there's all of us. I mean, I, you know as well as I do. I mean, when you play a high school sport, you have dreams and aspirations of playing that at the professional level, but eventually you have to go somewhere else and do something else if you're not, you know, that next guy. And so that's why I love about, you know, what you've done um, and what you've done for your, you know, a community that, you know, you grew up in and that means so much to you. And, you know, I just think back to seeing a lot of that and seeing these young men grow as well uh, after meeting you and then just seeing what you guys were able to do with Victory. So, man, I, I appreciate that. And I, I don't know if you'll hear that, if anybody else will say it to you, but, man, I appreciate what you guys do there and what you've done uh, for these young men and, and just seeing the young men that they've grown up to and knowing those kids on, you know, some of them, you know, not on an extremely personal level, but knowing just how they are in the community. So, you know, I feel like you deserve an attaboy for that, man. Man, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So let's talk a little bit about the NBA. I know you're you're big on basketball, and, and right now we're looking at um, the fact that the NBA has somewhat of a plan. We still don't have uh, all the dates put together yet, but they're saying that if it goes off the way they want it to, 22 teams, uh, more than likely down in Orlando, that the finals would be on October 12th. Um, are you just more on the, the camp that I kind of am where it's just like, just give me live sports, man. We don't care when it ends. We just want it. Or are you a little confused on dates and times and when the new season would start afterwards? I'm, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't like the new, the, the proposed setup. And, you know, we're, we're getting reports that they've completely moved away from the idea of bringing back all 30 teams. So that seems like it's not a reality at all. So, I'm I'm of the mindset of if we're not going to get a full season, obviously, and we're not going to get a conventional season or conventional playoff, then let's just go ahead and make it all. Let's just go ahead and be a little bit more experimental, right? So we can we can already agree the season's not going to be normal. People are already talking about should the champion have an asterisk placed next to it because it wasn't a normal season. And I'm I'm of the mindset bring back every team, take the top seven teams in each conference and let them be in the 16 team playoff. Let the other teams, the remaining 16, play for the other two spots. Wow. Right? Like so whether you're talking about a one game, I mean, basically you have 16 teams. You can do a, a bracket-style March Madness NBA tournament to determine the two teams who get into the playoffs. And then from there, I'd be a huge fan of taking all 16, regardless of conference, and going 116, 2-15, 14 so on and so forth. And that way we get a true, true NBA champion, and who knows, maybe you get a Lakers-Clippers finals. But what I don't like right now is the 22-team plan. And I feel like at the end of the day, we talk a lot about small market programs or small market franchises struggling to kind of get over that hump. And to me, this would be detrimental to them. Um, if you're Phoenix, you're Sacramento, you're some of these teams who have great young talent and you're truly looking to make the next push, well, you were robbed of your last, you know, however many games of your season. And now we're talking about restarting with every eyeball on the NBA because, like you said, live sports aren't really a thing right now. Um, this would be a great opportunity for you to really showcase some of your young guys, get a chance to see them in action, and really get a chance to, again, take advantage of those last 10 games of getting them to play together. And I, I just I think it sends a bad message uh, to the rest of the NBA, specifically the teams in small markets. And, uh, again, from a competition standpoint, 
I don't think it's that much more valuable. If you're going to bring back the, the 22nd best team, why not bring back all 30? It's, it's kind of where I stand with it. I like that. I, I like really everything you said. I mean, you know, you know, I, I'm not always the biggest, you know, sit down and watch as much basketball as possible. I, I normally will will jump in during uh, the playoffs and, and everything like that. It's normally when I jump in, um, at least in the NBA. Uh, but I like that. I like that idea a lot. I mean, I think that it would give more basketball. Um, it would give us more chance to, you know, really shake off the cobwebs. And uh, I think right now, if we know that we're not going to have fans and, and you're still just trying to play basketball, then yeah, why not try to do something that's completely different than what the NHL is going to do or what other, you know, uh, other organizations are going to do. I like that. You know, I, I think right now as well for both the NHL and NBA, they have a, a, a opportunity to really just kind of seize the reins on viewership, especially if the MLB keeps trying to knock down their season to, you know, from 80 games to right. 50 games. And there just keep, continues to be a struggle of, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to pay these guys. And, and then them, those guys saying, well, if you're not going to pay us, we're not going to play. You know, the MLB, I feel like, is the one that's in the most hot water with their fans, where the NBA and the NHL, I, I just feel, have the, the greatest opportunity to just say, you know what? we're going to capitalize on what the MLB is not doing right now. Right. And I mean, can you imagine having two 18 NBA brackets, alternating dates in which they play, right? So maybe the, the last eight teams in the East play one day and the last eight teams in the West play the next day. And then you knock it down so on and so forth. It'd be six consecutive days of basketball, March Madness style, yeah. all in one venue. I mean, it would be, it would be extremely exciting, especially whenever you're talking about teams that aren't really that good anyways. Right, so we're talking about, you know, the the, the Atlanta Hawks that have won a ton of games, yeah. or you know, Golden State, who's actually in a bad place right now. The neat thing is, and I think the thing that kind of makes me really like this idea is, you look at Golden State, who was riddled by injuries all year. You look at the Washington Wizards, who played without John Wall. You look at teams like that that have battled injuries. Well, right now, a lot of people are healthy, so you throw John Wall back into the equation, the Wizards might actually win that wild card spot. <laughs> You throw Kevin Durant back to the Nets, and they might not only win the wild card spot, they might win the East. Yeah. You put in a healthy Golden State with a healthy Clay Thompson and a healthy Steph Curry, again, they might actually win that wild card spot and make a run. So I think just from a fan excitement standpoint, it adds so many storylines to it. And even going to the Hawks again, the Hawks have one of the best young players in the NBA and Trey Young. Keep in mind, they traded for Clint Capella, which really is one of the best young big men in the NBA. He's been hurt, so he didn't really get to play a lot with that lineup. Throw him back in there and give those young guys a chance to really earn, you know, a wild card spot and, and get a chance to see what playoff basketball is all about. I just think that from a storyline standpoint and from a league inclusion standpoint, and even from a game standpoint, because you're going to add a few more games to the schedule, I think there's no lose. That's a no lose scenario for the NBA to take on. I like it, Jordan. We uh, we might need to push this one through, man. We might need to see if we can get some phone calls going here or whatever whatever it takes. We're going to take a quick break here on Talking Schmidt. When we come back, Jordan's going to stay with me here. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the United States right now and just have a good conversation because I feel uh, that's where um, I feel like that's where we really need to hit at right now. It's just having a great conversation. So we're going to have more coming back uh, after the break. everyone welcome back into talking schmidt we're on to segment two jordan burton still on the phone with me here uh jordan had a uh, a strong 
and really it, it touched on some feelings that I that I've always had and um, you know Jordan had a very strong Facebook post and uh, I found out some things about Jordan from that post uh, one what that we have in common um, I was actually my first name is actually from a soap opera as well and it's, it's, it's a weird it's a weird situation but always always fun to figure out where those names come from yeah, so uh, I, I saw your post and I was just like, well, obviously Miss Penny had it had it right because that's what my mom did as well. She named me after an Ethan off of a soap opera. So um, I, I saw that and I was like, all right, well, this is why he and I get along so well is uh, obviously we have a lot in common. And one of the things that I, I really want to touch on here because I feel, you know, the way I was raised, and for those of you who don't know how I was raised and don't know a lot about my background, both of my parents, uh, my mom was a police officer, um, was a road cop. She worked in the penitentiary. She worked in the prisons. My dad was a military police officer, did Department of Defense. Um, I was raised very strict. Uh, let's just put it that way. And in, in my life, and, and one thing that, you know, my mom has always reiterated to me is the thing that, you know, a good cop will always hate is a bad cop. And, you know, I, I've... I, I've always been someone, I really don't ever get really involved in social issues. It's just never been me, um, just because I have so many people that I love and I care about um, that are everywhere, you know, it, it, at least in my opinion. Um, you know, I have I have very good friends right now who are on police forces in Memphis, in, in Nashville, um, but I also have a lot of friends who are struggling right now um, by watching what we're seeing on television and, and what we've seen for this past week. And just uh, it's to me, it, I can honestly say and, and I don't know maybe if this is the right thing to say, but man, I'm just heartbroken all over because I, I just I hate to see so much hate and anger having to be displayed uh, for anybody to have, you know, themselves be heard. But right now, that's the only way that I think anybody's listening right now is, is by the show of anger, you know, that is actually, you know, going on right now in our country. And I, and I hate that. And I saw your post and I know one of the biggest things is, you know, I don't have a huge platform, you know, I mean, this is, this is a small podcast that I've, I've put together. Um, but I do know that, you know, I love so many people um, no matter what they look like or what their background is. And so I feel like I've stayed quiet, and I didn't know if that was something where somebody was looking at me saying, like, oh, man, he doesn't care about the cause, or if it's more so that, you know, my biggest thing is I like to sit back and I like to listen and I like to see what's going on to know where the issues are. I don't know if that makes sense to you, Jordan. Um, I don't know if you're like, all right, Ethan, you got to step up and be more vocal or what, but... Talk to me, man. What? How are How are you feeling right now? And and what are you seeing right now? Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with you from a couple standpoints. One, um, I actually waited about seven days before I said anything, um, kind of about what's going on uh, socially. Uh, you know, obviously, you want to give yourself time to uh, to kind of cool off, to truly take in what's going on, to take in what's being said and what's being done you know, and, and really kind of gathered some positive thoughts. And I think the other thing is you, you mentioned, you know, the violence aspect of the, the rioting part of it. And I think uh, just kind of starting there, um, I will say that, you know, I personally don't condone looting and rioting. You know, I think that it's counterproductive in some ways. I think that it distracts from the message in some ways. But one thing you'll never see me do is, is try to tell people 
how to voice um, their anger and frustration. Um, at the end of the day, America itself is founded on violence. You know, whether we're talking about the violent takeover of land <laughs> from an initial standpoint, or even the violent takeover of, of America going from colonies to, you know, the American nation, and so on and so forth. Our, our, our nation is, is rooted in violence at many levels, and there have been very few things that have been accomplished that have been accomplished without violence at some level, which is awful to say, but that also just kind of, you know, it gives a, it gives a little bit different view for, for our nation and, and, and its history. You know, ultimately, no no cause comes without the loss of, of something, whether we're talking property, money, life, uh, so on and so forth. Um, but I think it's important not to let that take away from the message. And that's one thing I struggle with right now is a lot of people want to change the narrative away from... You know, whether we're talking police brutality, systemic oppression, um, you know, uh, racial inequality, whatever, and they want to focus the attention on the, the, the actions of non-peaceful protesters, and I think that's an issue. Um, at the end of the day, and I still go back to, uh, you know, in the post, I said the same thing, this is not a police brutality issue. This is a systemic oppression issue. And within that is the, the element of police brutality. Police brutality is really a national issue to me. Um, I think that there are people all around the nation, different shades, different genders, whatever, that have dealt with this issue of police force and police violence. But I think it becomes complicated when you add the element of race. And, and Ethan, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, do you know who, do you know kind of where police force came from? Like kind of where the, the organization of police began? That's a good question, man. I actually don't. Um, I, I honestly couldn't tell you that, man. And and it's completely okay because you're. It's a normal thing. And, and again, I've been asking all my friends this. Um, a lot of the first police force came from the formation of slave patrols um, during the days of slavery. So in the South, they hired men whose job was to find runaway slaves and return them to their plantation. Slave patrols then became became police force. So naturally. <laughs> In, in its organization, there's a certain element of, of racial inequality already implemented into policing. And I think that that's where, you know, a lot of these opinions come from a place of, and, and I'm not willing to call it, it's, ignorance gets a negative connotation, but at the end of the day, it comes from uneducation, right, um, or misinformation. And I think that's why, you know, whenever you look at, um, systemic oppression and systemic inequality, it's important to truly understand the plight of all races. Uh, obviously, right now we're talking about the black plight and how it differs from that of, of any other race. And I think there are so many things within, you know, black, black people's fight for, for equality that gets lost. And I, I think that's why I kind of struggle with seeing some of the things that, you know, we see in social media, we see on the news that's just inaccurate or that just not not a lot of people know about, you know? So, you know, whether we're talking about that or whether we're talking about how Reconstruction impacted Black people, so how America changed following the Civil War and how Black people went from slaves to sharecroppers or, you know, worked in factories and they slowly transferred power back to Southern plantation owners, which really didn't end slavery, just kind of changed it. Or how from slavery to sharecropping, we got mass incarceration or our current privatized uh, prison situation, which still uses, you know, essentially slave labor, free labor, 
to produce goods and again profit off of it. And so I struggle because a lot of people look at it look at the police brutality issue because that gets all the main headlines and that gets the best it's the best news headline, right? It's the best video. But police brutality isn't my issue, right? It's not the it's not the issue that truly is going to change inequality for black people. It's just the tip of the iceberg. And whenever we talk about education inequality within urban communities and we talk about um, mass incarceration, like I said earlier, or just different things like that that have truly made it more difficult to have equality amongst races. I think that's a bigger issue. And I think that's kind of what gets lost in all the social media banter is that we want to talk about disrespecting the flag or burning the flag or looting or rioting or, you know, what the, what our president says about this group of people or their, their actions. And that's not, that shouldn't be the conversation. And as long as we continue to change the narrative, it's going to be hard to get true shift in terms of changing systemic inequality of all kinds. Man, I love it. And and I think that's what, you know, why one of the main reasons, I mean, obviously, I, like I said, when, you, when I brought you on this show, you're someone that's, um, that I truly, uh, I love getting a chance to talk to. And, and I love getting a chance to hear your viewpoints and your opinions. And I, I think for me, you know, the main reason why I always sit back is because I know somebody's going to look at me and be like, well, you know, you shouldn't have a say. And I, and, and ultimately, I think my biggest thing that I, I feel like I've always been able to do is listen. And I love to listen to what people are saying. And I, and that's why I always feel I sit back a little bit. And one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk to you is because I knew that, you know, we would have a conversation. And, and that's what I think a lot of this has to be about. I, I hate when I see people, like you said, telling people how you should be doing things. Um, you're not that person. You know, we all have free will. This is the way it is. You know, in, in my, in my, you know, 29 years of being on this planet, you know, I, I saw, um, and I, I always think of this story because when I was younger, um, we lived uh, in a in a predominantly African American community when we lived in Jackson, Mississippi, and I, you know, I had all my friends obviously because they're all around me. We we all played on the streets together. Um, you know, we rode bikes together, rollerblade together, played basketball together. And uh, I remember we uh, we tried to take a few of our friends to vacation Bible school with us, and the church that we went to was a predominantly white church, and they they ridiculed my mom for for doing that, and I'll never forget that um, because I remember trying to ask my mom, you know, here I am like six or seven, trying to ask my mom why my friends can't come back to vac- vacation Bible school the next day. So I remember thinking of that, and that always sticks to me, and I know it might be a, a small case of you know. But I, that's the first thought that always comes to me, and I always hate that feeling uh, that I had when I was a kid. And when I see things like this, and I and I know, you know, I feel, you know, what a lot of people are, are, are why they're so upset because, I mean, when you see what's going on and you see how it 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 literally is in front of your eyes, you know, you just it, it's disheartening. And like I said, being raised by you know two people who wore badges and swore to protect and defend their communities and everyone that's in that, that doesn't say, you know, when they take oaths, it it doesn't say, oh, you only protect this type of person. You know, they, they're meant to protect every single person. And then you just see so much anger and hate and rage going on, man. I I just hate that. I I hate that feeling 
um, inside of me. And, and like I said, it, it's taken me a while to say anything, and I've sat back, and, and I think your post really gave me the opportunity to be like, you know what, if I can talk to one person about this, and I feel like they're going to understand why I've I've laid back like this, it's going to be you. Um, because we've always had been able to talk to each other um about really about anything. So man, I, I, I hope that I've been able to kind of, you know, um, maybe be, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm always going to be there for you. Uh, I'm always going to want to stand up for what's right because I know what's right. And, and whether that's, um, from a, you know, the, the golden rule is love thy neighbor. Like you, you know, would love yourself. You know, it doesn't that as well. If you, if you turn to the Bible and you turn to the 10 commandments and you're someone who is big in religion, um, right there, love thy neighbor. Um, it doesn't say love, you know, love a neighbor because of this reason. Um, so a lot of times when I see things like this going on, I just think of, you know, former teammates or, or friends and just, it kills me on the inside because, you know, what is the, what's the difference of, you know, that could be someone that I've, I've grown up with and loved and, you know, have been able to talk to and stuff like that. So that's how I was kind of feeling about it, man. I've just kind of, you know, I've held back, um, for a while because I I don't want that to be something where, you know, somebody's saying, well, you shouldn't be saying, you know, or trying to tell people how to feel because a lot of what I've seen is people trying to tell me how to feel. And, and man, I feel terrible because I, I think of, you know, uncles and, and cousins that I have, you know, who are, um, you know, on Callie's family side, you know, I have an uncle Willie who is, who's a black man and his son is, and his daughter are half black, half white, you know, what's to say that this couldn't be them, you know, and that, that kills me on the inside too. And see, that's the tough part. And it's a difficult conversation, but at the end of the day, what's going to change it isn't black people. Okay. Black people make up roughly 14% of our nation's population. Our voices aren't going to be, the catalyst for change. What's going to change it is going to be the friends of black people, right? Non-black people who are middle or upper class, or even, I mean, whatever class doesn't matter, but who are supportive of changes against systemic inequality. And, and that's the tough part about people saying silence, because at the end of the day, your silence is a vote for the status quo. Your, your silence represents, uh, and, and it's not necessarily indifference, but that's the, the, the optics of it, right? So if, you know, if your friend does something bad and you sit and watch but say nothing, you're essentially condoning their behavior. And and much of this is very much the same way. And I think, you know, I've had a lot of friends ask, you know, what can I do? What, what should I know? And the thing I tell them is to educate themselves, um, try to be as knowledgeable as possible um, in terms of, you know, and, and again, this is obviously we're talking about the black side of it right now. But just be knowledgeable in, in general about American history and, and about how things are and, and, you know, not just what what they look like within your bubble. But if you can educate yourself and, and you, you can find the courage to speak, that's going to make a change. Because at the end of the day, what I say, especially depending on how I feel, may come off as an angry black man, you know, speaking his displeasure. And, you know, you see a lot of people say, well, if you don't like it, you can move and, and stuff like that. That's that's what the black response is met with. Your response or the white response gets a totally different um, reaction. You know, so as long as people who grew up playing sports and have black teammates and have black friends, as long as they're willing to speak out in favor of those people in their life, that's what's going to really create the shift. 
And I think that a lot of people don't look at it the way that you just mentioned it. And it's kind of sad, but at the end of the day, George Floyd could have been one of your, your, uh, your high school teammates. Yeah. Could have been someone you went to college with. It could have been one of your parents' friends. And that's the way they should look at it because in the eyes of, of what's transpired, you know, for decades, that's the way it is. George Floyd isn't some nameless, faceless victim. George Floyd was a friend of white people. You know, there are, there are white people who knew George Floyd. You know, and, and that just, that's what it comes down to is until we can make this a personal issue and by making it a personal issue within our friends and our community, it's, it's never going to get the traction it needs to truly shift. And I think that's why I continue to go back to the, the systemic side of it. And police brutality needs to change, but there are so many things within our system that need that need true revolution and, and truly need to change. And, and that'll never happen with people remaining silent, staying idle on the sidelines. And, you know, I told my mom today, I want to tell my friends, because, again, I grew up in a conservative place as well. I want to tell my friends, it's okay to be pro-Trump and be anti-racism. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being affiliated with whatever political institution or, or ideology you want to be. But understanding that racism, inequality, and that being, you know, built into our system isn't right. And I think until we truly get people to feel that way, we're going to continue to, to play this uh, circular game of, you know, we have whatever racial issue, people get outraged, it becomes a hashtag and a t-shirt, people move on. And that's what continues to happen over and over and over again. You know, and it's kind of been our process for decades. So I'm hoping at some point, just like in the 60s, whenever you had a lot of you know, white people who were on those freedom rides and you had a lot of white people who were standing up for, for injustices and inequality. That's what it's going to take today as well. Well, brother, it's been great getting a chance to talk to you, man. I, you know, I, I always appreciate getting a chance to talk to you. And, um, we had days where we saw each other all the time and then, you know, just the, the long breaks in between, um, just getting a chance to see you again is always something I know right now we're on the phone with each other, but just getting to hear from you, man, is something that I truly appreciate. And I hope that you would, would like to come back and be a guest, uh, you know, further on down the road or, or whenever you really want to. Definitely. No problem. I appreciate your time and appreciate the platform. And as always appreciate the friendship, you know, you're, well, what I would call you, you're a real one. You know, I know you're going to shoot me straight, right or wrong, and and I love that about you, and I love love that kind of feedback, and truly appreciate your friendship and and your kindness towards me and my entire family. Absolutely, man. Love you, brother. Stay safe out there. I'm always a phone call away if you need me. You know that, man. Absolutely. Well, we've reached our uh, final segment of talking Schmidt. We're going to have more coming up after the break. And we are back for the final segment of Episode 7 of Talking Schmidt. Normally, this is our Schmidt break, and I have Justin on with me. Justin's going to be back for Episode 8. I I just really wanted to wrap up this episode um, just with some final thoughts of uh, what's been going on. And I wanted to just kind of go back to what Jordan was saying. And I I think for anybody that listens to this, I think the biggest thing that I want you to do is to listen um, that's the only advice I can offer. Uh, again, I, I'm not going to tell anybody how to handle anything that's going on right now because 
I know that there is a lot of heartbreak. There is a lot of pain. You know, we have a lot of guys who I'm very close with uh, who are law enforcement officers who I love and will love till the, you know, the end of time because they are some very, very good friends of mine. And I know that they are extremely good guys um, and they care about their communities. I also have a lot of friends who right now who are African-American and are feeling a lot of pain, a lot of anger. And I just want everybody to know something. If I can offer any advice, love your neighbor, man. Listen to him. For once, let's not try to tell people what to do, but instead be the friend, be the brother in arms that they need at this time. Uh, That's the only thing I can say. You know, that's what uh, I feel one of the main points that, that Jordan hit on was, you know, for all of us who, who aren't, who aren't African-American in this moment, listen to your African-American friends. You know, what are they saying to you? What are they trying to tell you? That's the biggest thing I can say at this time. And, um, for those of you who are listening, thank you so much for being, uh, for following this and being a part of this. And, you know, for those of you who are hurting right now, or for those of you who, um, you know, kind of like me that went into this episode before I even spoke with Jordan and, you know, just have been heartbroken about it. Love your neighbor. That's the easiest thing you can do. Love your neighbor. Right now, more than anything, coming together, bonding, unifying together as the as just as friends can do, and family, and just feeling that that same feeling of friendship and fellowship and family, you know. We're all humans, simply put. Again, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Talking Schmidt. I'll catch you all again next week.